This morning, my task is to continue a series that we started last week that we are simply calling Jesus Did That. Uh, It's Christmas time, so it's a great time to just talk about the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done. Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth to live the perfect life that we could not live, to die the sinner's death that we should have Died and then to rise from the dead to offer forgiveness and freedom and fullness for us. But we want to ask the question around Christmas well, what was he like? What were some of the things Jesus did while he was here on earth? Not just so that we would become more enamored by him, but so that we might be moved to emulate him a little bit. More And uh, so this morning we're going to continue just spending some time hanging out with Jesus um, and seeing bits and pieces of what he did while he was on earth. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can go ahead and meet me there. Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at a, man, a pretty intense story um, this morning, especially around the Christmas season. Mark chapter Five. Um, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses will appear on whatever screen you are facing um, at the moment. And uh, we're going to pause as we customarily do around here and just make observations as we go along, getting to know and be impressed with the person of Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They, Jesus and his disciples, 12 of them, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Okay, yes, I'm going to push pause right there because um, Mark chapter 5 opens up with a hilarious understatement. Now, I'm not calling Mark a liar. I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying he is majorly downplaying the opening of this particular chapter. He says, and you can see it in front of you, they went across the lake. Oh, that sounds really sweet. And that's hilarious. Um, The night before this, uh, Jesus and the disciples are on a boat on a big body of water. When out of nowhere emerges this deadly storm that starts to decimate their boat. And the disciples are freaking out because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are going to die. And the whole time, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And so they go and wake Jesus. And then Jesus gets up, and in this famous scene, Jesus speaks to the wind, and he speaks to the waves, and just tells them, sit down, be humble. And the whole scene is stilled at the word of his mouth. The disciples, they freak out even more, because at first they were scared of the storm and the wind and the waves. Now they're scared of Jesus, and they ask this New Orleans Saints question. Who that, right? That's the immediate thought for them. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? 
It is on the tail end of that that they get across the lake and they finally hit the shore. And Mark says, so yeah, they crossed the lake. Like, Mark, that's not what happened, man. It was a little bit more intensive than that if you were just joining this story at verse 1 of chapter 5. Nope. After a night from Hades, they finally land and they get out of the boat. And this right here is the PG-13 scary situation that they are met with. Verse number 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, in the cemetery, in the graveyard. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. Wow. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day. Among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And this is a situation that the disciples are met with. Imagine after a night of facing this natural disaster... Now they get to encounter this dreadful, supernatural disaster situation, right? I mean, the moment their feet hit the ground, out of the tombs comes this living, dead, zombie dude charging in their direction, clearly on a mission. And the closer he gets, I'm sure they start to observe things about him. That man, his body is lacerated and he is bloody. There are chains dangling from his limbs as he's moving in the direction with an odd cadence. And I'm sure as they see his eyes through his unkempt hair, they are bloodshot red as he's been up in the middle of the night wailing at the top of his voice. And now here he is charging in their direction. I imagine the disciples are, you've got to be kidding me. And they get single file behind Jesus. Like, listen, Jesus, I'll tell you what, you get this one and we'll get the next one. (laughs) This would have been a scary situation. Mark paints a dire, dire, unnerving Picture. We find out some hard truths about this man, the most significant of which is that he is experiencing an advanced case of demon possession. Verse 1 tells us that he had an impure or an evil spirit. Same thing. Um, and a demon or an evil or impure spirit, man... That's nothing to mess with. A demon is a a, a non-physical creature. More specifically, it's one of thousands of angels um, that were led by Satan in a failed coup attempt against God at the beginning of creation. 
Satan decided he wanted to be God and he was going to attempt to overthrow God. That failed. And as a result, God kicked Satan and his angels out of heaven. And man, they have been at war with God since. Determined to destroy everything that he desires and everything that he delights in. One of the terrifying abilities of these um, angels, these supernatural beings, is uh, that they can hijack and commandeer a human body. They can take control over a human body, you know, becoming, you know, completely in charge of attitudes and in charge of um, actions, in, in charge of um, the human being's abilities even. We'll often refer to this as demon possession. Not so much that a person possesses a demon as much as the fact that the demon now possesses the person. And this was the case in this particular situation. Um, these are scary beings, invisible to the human eye, with supernatural power, not limited by the laws and limitations of the earth. No human being can stand a chance against one of these creatures. When the story opens up, we are introduced to a devastating situation. One of these demons apparently has taken control over this man. And the goal is always the same. To destroy the person and destroy as many people as this person is connected to in order to stick it to God. And here's a man under the clutches of this such power. He is helpless to the will of a demon that is devastating and decimating his life piece by piece. This guy is literally killing himself with stones and he's living among the dead in a graveyard. And there is nothing he can do about it and there is nothing anyone in that village community could do about it because this demon is just way too powerful. And I'm just asking you, this Christmas season, can you relate to this guy? In fact, I'm just telling you this Christmas season that this guy reminded me so much of me and you in quite a number of Ways. Yeah, I'm not necessarily the graphic and gruesome nature of his appearance. I'm not talking necessarily about that. That's not necessarily what reminded me about us. Not necessarily even the fact that um, he's possessed by a demon. I was reminded about us when I read what appeared to be a sequence of events that led him to this place. I don't know if you noticed them emerge in this story. Here's what I saw when I read this story. I mean, one of the first things I saw was a hint of independence. I don't know if you noticed that. Reminded me so much about us. Look again, Mark chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. 
It says, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him, interesting word, anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I can't help but read a stage of independence in this man's process. Right? There was a group of people in that community who apparently seemed committed to this man's well-being. And they were engaged in this tug of war. Did you see it? At some point they noticed something was off about him. And he was starting to drift into unsafe and unhealthy places. He's starting to do some unsafe and some unhealthy things. And so they were doing what they could to keep him safe and to keep him Healthy to keep him safe and to keep him with people that were for his health. And then on the other hand, you can see the demon is working to pull him away from the safe places and the safe people into a different reality altogether. And there's this tug of war. They're trying to keep him. They're trying to... To, to restrict him from moving in that direction. And the demon is fighting to yank him in that direction. And here it goes. And I just want to say to you, watch out for places of growing independence in your life. Watch out for those places where you are experiencing a little tug of war. I'm just saying to you, if there are places... Where you are desiring or deciding to pull away from the people or the places that you know are for your best, that is a yellow light. Watch out because here's the deal the devil and his demons don't start destroying you in the cemetery. They start distancing you from community. If there are places where you are feeling a tug of war, like the people who love you and care about you are saying, eh, and you're saying, mm, watch out. The demons love it when we start to feel and find reason to pull away from the voices that call us to stay in the light. That's why I think the devil loved the pandemic boy because it introduced all kinds of reasons and all of a sudden we just disliked and we distrusted and we divided from each other. I'm just telling you, if there are increasing places that your spouse is not welcome to show up and speak into, you are playing into the devil's schemes. Now, I'm just curious to know a little bit more about what's going on. Mm-mm, I'm curious to tell you a little bit less about what's going on. Watch out. If there are people that you're avoiding because you don't want them to ask you the questions you know are good for your soul. And they're inviting you and you are pushing away. I'm just saying watch out. If you are staying home. 
from church. That's fine. But if you are staying home from church, but you are showing up to all other public events, talking about we're just trying to play it safe, watch out. Watch out. I'm telling you right now. If you're spending hours a week binging on your favorite shows, but you're ignoring the texts from the people who you know care about you, you're super slow to respond to those people. There's a tug of war. And I'm saying watch out for that. Oh, I can't stick around and talk much about what's going on because I'm busy. That's one of our favorite ones. Because busy allows us to be in a lot of different places, interacting with a lot of different people, doing a lot of different things, but never stay anywhere quite long enough to be known. So it doesn't seem like I'm pulling away. I just seem busy and really important. Watch out. If you are talking to your parents like they are the enemy and they have no business knowing what you're up to. I'm telling you, kids, teens, whatever, you can relate to this guy. His story didn't start in the graveyard. And neither will yours. The demons will whisper in the light long before they have us wailing in the middle of the night. It starts with these tugs of war for independence. If you're in repeated conversations with people who care about you saying we're expressing this concern or would you this and you are pulling away. I'm just saying watch out. I could not help but notice there was a time when this man was torn between connection and independence. When they tried with some level of success. But man, when you pull against the guardrails that God has put in your life and the voices and the community over and over and over again. You distance and you pull away and you disregard and you're like, no, I'm not interested. You become stronger and stronger and better and better at it. And it becomes easier and easier for you to break those chains. I used to respond to your call and just tell you, yeah, man, it's, I know. (laughs) Now I just ignore it and it doesn't, I don't even think twice. And when you ask me about it, I'll just make something up. It's become easier and easier to disregard and to distance. It's become easier and easier to stay home. You watch it strength and people will say, we used to be able to get her to at least respond. But now it becomes easier and easier, which leads to the next thing I saw in this process. I couldn't help but notice that things move from independence to isolation. Right? Eventually, it's not just distance, it's disconnection. I've broken the chains over and over and over again, and now I'm doing what I want, and no one gets to stop me. Either because I just don't care anymore or because I've successfully caged everyone out. Isolation. 
right? This is that stage where uh, mine is the only voice that I truly let in. Or um, I let in the voices of people who agree with everything that my voice says. It is amazing that you can be isolated with extremely dysfunctional people who have no interest in challenging you. They have no interest in your health. But isolation is that thing where my voice is the only voice that is speaking that counts. Everyone else who's interested in my health or well-being, I have successfully tuned them out or caged them out in one way or another. Mark chapter 5 verse 3. This man lived in the tombs by himself. No one could bind him anymore. Again, there was a time. Not even with a chain because it had gotten to that point and now even that wasn't working. For he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Finally, this guy was free to do what he wanted to do. And where did he go? To this place of death. Isolation. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Your enemy, the devil... He prowls, roams, stalks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Which raises the question, devil, why are you prowling? Why are you sneaking around? Why are you looking for someone to devour? There are people everywhere. Just pick one. Well, because if I'm going to destroy a person, I first need that person to be isolated. I do my best work when that individual is separated from the herd. And by the way, if you've ever watched Animal Planet or any of these animal hunting situations, that's exactly how these predators work. They are looking for prey that has been separated and is by itself. Or will try and create enough chaos that causes people to go off by themselves. This is how the enemy works. The demons love when we pull for independence and eventually get to the place of isolation. And I'm just telling you, if there are places in your life that you have locked out the people who care most about you, that is not a yellow, that's a red light. Isolation. It doesn't matter what the area is. It may just be one area or quadrant of your life. But if there is any area that you have just locked out, you've caged out the voices of the people who care the most about you and who are most for your health and most for your fullness, that is a red light. Whether it's your internet web history, 
or erase, 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 erase. And men constantly be in private or incognito mode when I'm on the internet. Red light. I'm telling you, red light. Maybe it's your favorite social media accounts. No one gets to know what those are. Or it's your texting conversations. Your Snapchat interactions. Very iffy. Which is why my phone is always tethered to me. Or turned face down. Because no one's allowed in here. I don't want anybody speaking into this space. Oh no, I have names on my phone, but the contacts are stored under aliases, so no one really knows who I'm talking to, even in the event that building walls of isolation. No one gets to speak into this space anymore. No one gets to ask what me and my boyfriend get up to when we're in a private situation. No one has access to that information. Now, there was a time when there were some people that I would talk to about it. When I still called it a struggle. But it's not a struggle anymore. It's resignation to it. And so I've kept people out. With walls of lies or sneaking around, whatever the case is. No one gets to know. What my dating app activity looks like. Mm -mm. I am the only voice that gets to speak into this. Except maybe for the voices of other people who don't care. Well, no. I mean, I have this credit card that my spouse doesn't know about. It's just more practical, right? And so then I I opened an email account that she doesn't know about because it's just practical so that everything gets billed directly to my private email account. It just, it just, just, I mean, it just saves us from fighting and a lot of questions. Don't you want us not to fight? Hmm. I've made up a story, and it's a great story, about why I just do not have anything to do with getting together with my small group or coming to church. No one even asks me anymore. I'm free to do what I want any old time. I'm just telling you, if there are places in your life That you have locked out the people who care most about you. Red light. You may not be possessed. But boy, you are asking for it. You have put yourself precisely in the place the devil and his demons long to have. Each and every one of us. So they could do their most destructive work. And then I can't help but see things finally move from isolation to imprisonment. And for some of us, if we are honest, we are here. We relate to this Imprisonment, man, this is where no one can stop me from doing what I wanted to do. 
not even me. Imprisonment. This is when I've insisted on caging everyone out. Only to find I have caged myself in. This is where I've built so many walls so I can be the only voice I listen to and do the things that I want to do. And now I am stuck and I can't get out. I've now become a prisoner to the desires that motivated me to get into this place in the beginning. Imprisoned. Mark chapter 5. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. He got to the place by himself. And as always, it wasn't what he thought it would be. He is destroying himself and cannot stop it. Man, I struggled with this. And even in the way we're talking about this, I struggled with it. Because it's like, no, no, this guy is a, he's possessed by a demon. It's the demon doing it. But what I'm trying to tell you is the way the devil works never starts with a... I'm sorry, I'm just coming in and commandeering and taking over. No, the devil can possess only when we open doors for him. And more and more and more... Open doors for him. Until eventually he's like, gotcha. And then the destructive work begins. And I'm just telling you, he doesn't care how he gets us to this place so long as he does. This guy is imprisoned. This guy is stuck. And he is doing destructive things and he cannot stop. And I'm just wondering if you might be there. An area of your life in which you are doing things you know are not healthy for your body. They are not healthy for your soul. But you can no longer say no to yourself. You're stuck. And when you're in that place, it's not a yellow light anymore. It's not a red light anymore. This is lights out darkness. Because now you're in a situation you just cannot get out of. Where you are doing things you know this would destroy me. I know this thing is hurting me. But I cannot stop doing it. The urges come up. The cravings. And I go after it. I know that this thing could destroy and devastate my family and the people that I love, but I cannot stop. I am destroying my life, and I know it, but I cannot stop. And the funky thing about it is I read a story like this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this weird, creepy guy. Who's running towards the boat. Strange character. He's cutting himself yelling in the middle of the night. What's wrong with him dude? Why don't you stop? And yet if many of us were honest. We would unveil an area in our life. With which if the rest of us looked at it. Would be like you know that's destroying you right? I know. Why don't you stop? I can't. 
It may not be as reprehensible looking to the rest of us, but you know it's destroying you. And usually for me, it's something that's like, well, I don't struggle with cutting myself like that and looking ridiculous. So that one's really weird. But if we take away this and we just replace it with other things, we would have stories of ways in which we relate to this guy in that we are stuck in an area and destroying ourselves. And we can't stop risking our family's livelihood with gambling. It started small. Now it's a secret. And you cannot stop with the betting. Oh, you're in trouble and you know it. And you are convinced, well, the next bet will get me out of it. And the rest of us are looking at you like, you realize that's... And then you look at us and you're like, well, then you stop with a substance then. Well, no, no, no. See, that's different. So, but, but you're using substances you know are destroying your body. They're messing with your mind. Lowering your availability to the people who love you. Why won't you? I I can't stop. I've tried. Nothing I can do. People used to be able to help me, but not anymore. It is me in the middle of the night wailing in desperation as I come down from whatever that thing is. Yeah, it used to be just a glass to relax, but now... Can't remember the last time I didn't drink without getting wasted. And no one can say anything because I've caged them out. But I cannot stop and I cannot put the vape pen down. And I, I cannot stop binge eating. And I, man, I go three days without a porn binge and I'm not quite sure what to do. And I know what would happen if, but I just, I mean, it's at work now. And I just, I cannot stop. I can't stay out of these relationships. And I, I get out of a relationship, but like I need some time, but nope, I just keep getting back into another one. I can't stop myself. Now it's my phone. I literally cannot be away from it for very long at all. Like it, it literally owns me. And everything around me is becoming black. I can't even see and engage with other people because. Of it, or it's a spending. Again, the demons don't care how they destroy or devastate us and the people who care about us as long as they do. We can get distracted by the crazy look in this guy's eye and the way the demons have gotten a hold of him in particular and his whole night walker situation. But at the end of the day, the story is just a vivid picture of the powerful, destructive nature of sin in our lives and the way it slowly takes over every area until we are spiraling towards dead places. And I'm just asking, where are you? Yellow light, red light, And maybe for some of us, if we're honest, like I'm in church, but there's an area in my life right now. And it's increasingly taking over. But it's lights out. Um, This story is such a good one. 
Because it's a story that reminds us, oh, and just so you know, hope has stepped onto the shore. I love it. Jesus has touched down on earth. That's what Christmas is all about. And the devil and his demons are shaking, y'all. Verse number six. When he saw Jesus, this is glorious. (laughs) From a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Jesus is nothing like you thought. I'm telling you, if you know nothing else about Jesus, this right here should get your attention. Jesus hasn't said anything. And this powerful creature is voluntarily presenting itself and falling on its knees. Because Jesus is in the... About two minutes ago. He was the most powerful being in the story. But Jesus is here now. About 30 seconds ago, that area of stuckness in your life might have been the most powerful thing in your story. But Jesus is here now. Jesus immediately gives an order. Come out of this man. And he freaks out. Out. Verse number seven, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And gets religious in God's name. Don't torture me. Begging Jesus now. You were just destroying a man. Now begging. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure I love this, by the way, the poetry of the way Mark writes. The last thing we heard from the disciples, again, was that question. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They set foot on the shore and a demon comes running and says, we'll tell you. That's Jesus, son of the most high God. Whatever power we have, his power is higher. I love the beauty of the way this question is answered. Powerful and terrifying being in the region is now terrified of Jesus. Just as is every darkness in your life. Whole village couldn't subdue this man. And now he's begging Jesus not to torture him. Okay, okay, Jesus, I hear you. I hear you say to come out, but please, like, what are you going to do if we come out? Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to hurt us? Like, what are you going to do? Please tell us we're going to be okay. Oh, the wind and the waves and the devils obey him. This is Jesus. Don't know what you've heard about him. But whatever power might be bullying you around begs Jesus not to destroy it. Then Jesus asked him, verse number 9, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Wow, turns out this was just the captain of a slew of demons that had commandeered this man. A large number, probably thousands. Because I'm just telling you, you give the devil a crack in the door, he's inviting as many of his friends as possible. Don't ignore the warning signs. Don't ignore the yellow lights. Don't ignore the red lights. And then this spokes devil keeps begging Jesus, but makes an odd request. Verse number 10. And he begged Jesus again and again and again not to send them out of 
the area. Demons are very territorial. And I'm telling you, this may just before lunch shock you and you're like, what? There are demons assigned to the Warsaw region. And they do not want to get out of here until they have done their greatest work. Jesus, we're not done. Please at least don't send us out of here. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, right? That way we get to stay in the area. Allow us to go into them. Jesus gave them permission. (laughs) Oh man, so powerful. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd about 2,000 in number, which is why I suspect there were at least that many demons rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. They thought they were getting a second chance. Mm -mm. Jesus came to destroy the work of the enemy. Verse number 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Come on, verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there and dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid of Jesus. Now, you can imagine if we had this many problems with that What are we going to do with this dude? I love it. Jesus, son of the most high God. I imagine he gave a single word to those demons. Go. Dismissed. And in an instant, the walls came crashing down. The gates broke open. Light burst in. And this dude was free. What had taken years to devastate him and start the process of destroying him in a moment, one word from Jesus was undone. I don't know how stuck you feel this season. I just came to tell you Jesus is in the house, y'all. This isn't just something we come to church and we hope and we, we, you know, we cross our fingers. No, the presence of Jesus is in this place and he is powerful to unshackle and set free whoever is stuck, even though you got stuck by your own doing. By his grace, Jesus will unshackle you and set you free. The question is, are you willing to run awkwardly and weirdly towards him and fall on your knees and just beg? This is such a powerful scene. And by the way, I'm going to pray here in a moment and then would love to be down here. The the elders and prayer team will be down here. Would love to pray with you. Would love to pray for you. Would love to pray for freedom or protection or whatever it is that you are longing for Jesus to do. Now you can pray by yourself. Would urge you to do that. But if you need somebody to just stand and agree with you and just rally around you and just beg Jesus to do what he does so beautifully, please come and let us pray with you. But look how this story wraps up. Verse number 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. (laughs) So it's all about him. It's so compelling. Verse number 19. Jesus said, nah, man. 
He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And boy, we could talk about that. Remember those people who tried to help you? Yeah, go back to them. Remember the community that you disassociated yourself from? Go back to them. Verse number 20, so the man went away and he began to tell the Decapolis, these 10 areas, you know, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. I love the way this story ends. And one of the reasons was when Jesus is done with this guy, he becomes like an evangelist in 10 cities. And I cannot help but believe the enemy might have had some hint about that. And went after this dude because if this dude is set free, he is going to become a problem for our kingdom agenda. We've got to chain him up. So I just want to ask what area of your life you might be feeling stuck in. What area of your life you might feel like the enemy is coming after you. Because there may be on the other side of that. If we let her free, she might become a problem for us. If she gets past this drinking thing, she might become a problem for us. If you are feeling caught in a tug of war, that is between the enemy's desire to destroy and Jesus' longing to set you free for purpose and power. He wants to use you. So I'm just saying, can we pray that the Lord would unshackle whatever areas so you would become the person that he's called you to be. And there are people in this world and in this county who I think he's going to release you to go back and tell all about him. Because at the end of the day, this is all about Jesus, son of the most high God. So Father, I pray that by your grace, you would give each of us The light to see and the courage to act and the humility to do what we need to. If there's an area of warning or an area of deep concern or an area of stuckness, I pray that we would confess, that we would share with people we trust, that we would have people join us in praying. If there's an area where we just feel like we can't move, we just ask that even now, Jesus, you would speak words of release and freedom over your people in this place. That there will be many in here who may be set free from areas. But I pray you'd give us the humility to acknowledge that we're stuck. And then give us the vigilance to do whatever we need to do. As courageous as we need to be. Lord, to say yes to what you're inviting us into. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.